The following is a conversation with shark tooth hunter and gator attack survivor, Jeffrey Heim. Jeffrey is the passionate and adventurous founder behind Sharkco. In this episode, we discuss what it takes to hunt for shark teeth, megalodons, shark preservation, a shark encounter of my own, and Jeffrey's near fatal encounter with an alligator. Enjoy. Let's just get right into it. Um, how did you get into hunting for shark teeth? So back in 2017, I went with this Shark Week producer who is about to have a huge episode with Great Whites come out on in two Saturdays. It's called Monsters of the Cape. Uh, his name is Mark Grackley. I lived with him in the Keys, where I worked on a commercial spearfishing boat, and his godson pretty much it's his girlfriend's son they've all been like in the keys everyone knows everyone but they've been like pretty much family his whole life um i worked for his godson on his spearfishing boat and i lived with mark rackley and then um summer of 2017 he invited me with his family to go dive for megalodons in a south carolina river and we did and it was black water it was heavy current it was tough diving pretty scary in the beginning, but I found a couple and it was just like the coolest thing I'd ever done. And man, I was like, wow, when can we do that again? But huh. like living in Florida, I I was like, wow, that's kind of far. Like I'd love to plan another trip. And then I realized, okay, the shark to the capital of the world is an hour and a half from me. So then I start driving there. I start the first time I went on my own, I found one tiny broken tooth after five hours of sifting, it was exhausting. But each time I went, I learned a little bit more. I got a little bit better. And then like whatever year we are now, that's how long it has taken me to get to where I am now. And I actually only started finding some of my best teeth after I got bit and started learning more from those who are practically professionals. Um, and then myself became professional because I have a business from it. It's awesome what kind of skill or technique is involved? Like, how do you go from sifting for five hours to find a chunk to becoming pretty proficient? Is it knowing where to look or uh, certain patterns for searching? Yeah, a lot of it is skill. A lot of it is research. A lot of it is relationships, who you know. Um, it's all about the spot, but finding that spot is, it takes everything. I mean, the best fossil hunters are the ones who are are best at keeping secrets yeah so you got it's just like searching for that good surfing spot man like the best yep. spot you're not gonna you're not gonna walk up to someone or anyone and, and have them share it with you even if it's a good friend of yours you've still got to invest in them and and work on a relationship long term to get some of the good spots and then find it yourself that's the hardest part is scouting so getting better at scouting, understanding what you're looking for, there's a lot of secrets that go in, into it and then fine tuning your own hunting method. So that's something that a lot of times separates me from 
other people if i'm hunting next to someone i could just my eyesight and my ability to see a covered tooth a partly covered tooth um a lot of times i can see teeth before someone else or just when i'm diving for instance my ability to just see the teeth in the same amount of time everyone has one tank so conserving air Mm-hmm. Standing the bottom, making sure you're not covering the same ground twice. It's hard to do when you can't see much around you. So just a lot of that stuff is intangible and you can't teach that, that you have to learn by trial and error. And that's all it's been. It's just kind of how I've learned. And I will always continue to get it, to get better too. It's just this drive I have to find more teeth. And it's, it's like a drug, that discovery moment. It, you, we get what's called an adrenaline dump where it's just extreme emotion, that eureka moment, the sense of discovery, it's what drives me every day to do this. And I will do that until the day I die. So that's the reason why I got in that river is like, I need to find something amazing. That's awesome. (laughs) Sounds super rewarding to just start from not knowing where to go, scouting your own spots, building all these skills, and then to have that moment where, where it finally pays off. It's incredible, man. It's like I always there's a reason why I film it it's yeah to share with everyone else too but it's also myself looking back and like seeing my hard work pay off I always look back at that discovery moment it means it means so much more to me than anyone else that's why I don't sell my favorite teeth I they're so sentimental for me it's a result of a lot of hard work dedication and passion and looking back at that moment the first time that you that this tooth has been seen by a human being it was recovered and it'll be cherished for however many years now i'll pass it down to my grandkids and hopefully they pass it down and maybe someday i'll have a museum that's awesome that's a great goal sounds like spearfishing might have been a good kind of place to hone some of these skills i i do a bit of spearfishing here in southern california and halibut fishing is something i'm trying to work on wow where, where you're i mean for me as someone who's new to hunting halibut i pass over them all the time and when I go with a buddy who's a little more experienced it's amazing just to see certain subtle features you see the eyes poking out it's about all you can see it's about keeping your heart rate down when you we don't use tanks so I I get how hard this is and how long it takes to to become proficient big time it's very similar to that or anytime anyone's searching for something or fishing or hunting I started as a freshwater bass fisherman in North Georgia. So that's, that was my first drive out in the wilderness. Um, and then it was spearfishing. And then a lot of those dive skills have, helped, have translated very well into diving for shark teeth. Cause over here, it's only about 30 feet deep at most. Mm-hmm. It's, rel- it's way easier, uh, but still there's a lot of specific skills that you need. And yeah, being very aware, very focused and that helps with safety too. There's a there's a lot that just goes into it, like surfing, like spearfishing. Um, yeah, it's just being like literally one with nature to sound dramatic and cliche, but big time, no big time. The real that's the reality of it. Why is Florida the capital for finding uh, megalodon teeth? What about it makes it such that's, a rich environment? That's a good question. Uh, I think it could also be argued that South Carolina is the capital as well. Um, but that's just kind of the name it was coined. The reason why Venice, Florida is the shark teeth capital world, that's the official shark teeth capital world. But the reason is because there's so many teeth that are very plentiful and the average person can go to a beach, 
get a sprint acceptor. Let's see if we can find 100 Shark teeth if you spend enough time. Um, it has a very slow sloping fossil layer. It's called the Miocene fossil layer. And it's spread out through several miles. It's just this one elevation and it's exposed from offshore and it comes all the way inshore. And every storm, it kicks up new fossils. We're never gonna run out. Does this have something to do with the way prehistoric earth was arranged where like plates started shifting and then things started coming up from that's so cool exactly so the world did look a little bit different back in the miocene epoch which was it ended two million years ago and it started 23 million years ago that's the age range of the or the the known uh time that megalodons were alive as well so um, during that time, the world did look different with the tectonic plates, not as different as it did during like the Cretaceous or Jurassic, which is older. So it's not Pangaea that we're talking about. No, nope, nope. A little bit different. So not quite that old. Um, I'm no fossil expert. I just passionately find shark teeth. But Pangaea, I believe, is more towards the Jurassic or Cretaceous periods, which are much older around like 100 millions, give or take, don't hold me to that. It's something like that. Again, I'm more familiar with my niche. For sure. Do you know why riverbeds seem to be such hot spots? Yeah, they cut into, so as the elevation goes up on land, because all of Florida was covered during this time period. Mm -hmm. All of Florida was underwater, it was an ocean. Now there's different ele elevations, obviously, as the water level rose, it exposed the land that is now Florida. So it's a little bit higher here. What's deeper is still deeper. And then it exposed land as there became less water on the earth and rivers dig into that land. And certain rivers dig into that land that go, that have a shallow enough fossil layer. So most of the layer, most of the fossil layer, the correct layer that has megs across Florida is too deep. It can be like 80, 90 feet deep in, in most areas, but there are certain elevations of this area in certain areas of Florida where the riverbed cuts into a shallow enough layer and it exposes it. So that's why certain rivers can have them. Same way with South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, stuff like that. So these special features in the Southeast, the rivers, the, that fossil layer talking about, that's what makes it such a rich environment for finding megalodon teeth. Yep, it's got to be the right, right uh, scenario. The river's got to cut deep enough, and the fossil layer has to be there. The correct fossil layer has to be there. Other rivers enter in a, into other fossil layers, like uh, more of the Ice Age layer, or some might be uh, heavier for artifacts, or, or you name it. It depends on what the ground what layer it is cutting into is what you'll get in the river. So finding that information is tough. And then extracting that is also tough, especially if some of these rivers, a lot of people dive them. So a lot of people take this stuff. So you got to find new areas. It's very difficult to do what we do. Have you ever tried carbon dating one of your, one of your finds? No, it's pretty, I mean, none of us really do. There's a lot of us who do it. It's just, depending on the species that tells you 
what age range it is. Mm-hmm. That's a question I get a lot, but it's generally accepted as being 2 million to 23 million years old. And I, I'm not an expert on carbon dating, but I'm not sure if it, I believe it's meant to be for some of the younger specimens. I don't know if they use it for something of this age, but I'm not sure. It's all pretty, like if you find a certain bone of something, uh, you can have someone idea it in these Facebook groups I'm in. And then you can, like my buddy found a walrus tusk, um, fossil too. Now that's not the same, they weren't around the time as megalodons, they, we figured out how old that was by literally Googling it. If you find a walrus tusk in this area of Florida, that means it is between 5 million years old and 8 million years old. So that's- I did. Yeah. That's typically how we determine the age. So based on the species and location. Got it. Why did um, megalodons go extinct? And are there any lessons from that that we can apply to present day endangered sharks? That's- Pretty much why I created the slogan, help ancient sharks save living sharks, because if the fiercest and greatest predator that ever lived on this earth went extinct, it went extinct without human intervention. Now we see all of these species, not just of sharks, going at, going extinct at very alarming rates. Like last year, we had the, we set the record on earth with the most animal exchange extinctions ever last year. I think it was at 24. Now, looking back to the animals that went extinct without human intervention, like the megalodon, uh, it can happen naturally, it does, but we can really impact the earth in a horrible negative way if this is exponentially growing at an unnatural rate, which it is. That's happening. We see signs of it. It's in the data. Um, it's not a good thing. We do have to do what we can to turn around. I don't know the answer to that at all. I'm not an expert. I'm not a scientist, but I do donate to those who are scientists who have a better vision of how we can turn that around. And I focus on sharks because I find shark teeth. So that's what I'm looking to help, but it is a bigger picture as well. Um, Now, the reason why scientists believe megalodons went extinct is because of the reduction in oxygen content on the world, which led to the rise of the faster more agile great whites. So great Sharks whites. that are less dependent on large amounts of oxygen. So they're more efficient. More efficient. Don't require as much food too. Megalons had to eat a lot to maintain their body size, just like dinosaurs. So as you see kind of wildlife size decrease as oxygen content decreased as well, the faster, more efficient sharks were getting meals more often and that's what scientists believe led to megalodons becoming extinct. And we see and you, rise. When you look at things like overfishing, taking out bait fish, smaller fish, it just ripples up the food chain and affects these phenomenal predators. Yeah, it goes from both directions, especially uh, U.S. isn't as much of a heavy hitter in the shark and shark killing industry. I know it's been recently viral about a Florida fishing tournament about it too, but I did speak to some scientists on it too. The heavy hitters that are contributing to most of the shark population decline are in Asia and those who are doing massive uh, shark killings systematically every single day. Um, That's where the shark fin soup comes into play. And a lot of these smaller 
less regulated countries, some of the third world countries that rely so heavily on fishing, do a lot of overfishing because they have such loose fishing laws. So right now I donate to Fins Attached who is doing shark tagging research over in countries that need policy change. They're using that data to introduce policy change and help those countries still receive revenue and help their economies from introducing ecotourism. So more like shark tours and shark diving and shark swimming, but they still need the money they need for their economy, sometimes more, um, but they don't have to kill sharks unsustainably. So that's what I'm helping donate that's to. That's great. I yeah. encourage our listeners to go on YouTube and check out these videos of these fleets just massacring sharks. They don't even kill them. They just chop their fins off and throw their bodies back into the ocean. And it's really, really disturbing. Yeah, uh, it's very And they're just indiscriminate, any species. Right. So and, it's not going to work long-term. <laughs> yeah. And I've heard um, there's a little short documentary Gordon Ramsay did just looking into the shark fin soup thing. And he tried some. And he said, it's bland. It's nothing special. There's just this sort of cultural importance placed on it. Right. And right. Um, it's, it's a tough issue when you have something that's culturally important, but at the same time is so destructive. Yeah. And I think that's where education is going to have to go in mm -hmm. that. And it's tough because those countries aren't ours. So it's more of a worldwide issue in those countries um it still happens here but it, there isn't really shark finning here it's not a legal practice here um so that's where i'm focusing at least the shark donations to help them is through fins attached who's they have a huge boat called the shark water it's a vessel it's massive so I'm, they run entirely on donations so that's who i donate to right now they're they're out there in the field introducing policy change in places that need it the most. How can uh, uh, our listeners get involved with that? Well, they can check out my website um, on sharkco.com, S-H-R-K-C-O. Um, I spell it differently, not S-H-A-R-K, S-H-R-K. Um, I, don't, I donate 10% of net profits to them. But if they want to look more into Fins Attached specifically, they can go to finsattached.org. And they can see pictures of the boat. They can see introductions about the scientists. It's, I, it's very important to me to donate to a scientist as well, because I use a lot of data. They, everything's calculated and unbiased too, which is important. So being smart here and being efficient, I think it's going to help us the most. That's great. What are some of your best finds? I, I was checking out your page and your website and you have some serious teeth. I mean, huge, bigger than my fist. Yeah. Um, you mentioned keeping some of these for yourself. You want to open up a museum one day. How do you approach finding a buyer for something that's worth say, you know, 10 grand, like that six plus inch megalodon tooth? Right now, my website gets enough I mean, it could always be better. Get it's a, it gets a good amount of international traffic. Most half of my buyers are overseas, out of the U.S. Because um, a lot of countries and a lot of people have never, first of all, known that megalodons existed. Second of all, known know that you can find their teeth. Third of all, know that you can buy one and own one yourself to hold in your hand, and you feel that power. It's it, it's different looking at it on 
a screen and holding it in your hand. Um, so that experience to someone is, you know, you can't really replace that. But usually I just list them on my website if it's something more uh, valued, I list it there. I don't really chase after anyone. I just kind of list it and whoever buys it, buys it. Uh, they have a lot of options. They've got cheaper ones. They've got smaller ones. They can make jewelry out of megs. And I've got a bunch of other species too. Um, I'm more focused on the jewelry of smaller teeth and people can select their favorite species. There's different styles, different rarity, different colors too. Um, but I do have some megalodons for sale on my website as well. And it's basically for anyone to shop through and sift through and see what you like, see what you don't like and make that decision on your own. But uh, a lot of people like just following my brand and my page just because of, they like to see what I uncover. People tell me it's like opening up a present. You don't know what it's going to be completely. They see half of it sticking out. And then a lot of people like my reaction too, which is just genuine. I freak out. Yeah, looking for hours and hours and you're tired and you're hungry and you're thirsty and you're sweating or you're underwater and then you finally get what you came for there's plenty of trips where you don't get what you came for so just having that emotional moment is very important to me because it's not just i mean it's just a whole lifestyle behind it for me as i'm sure with what you do too when you finally the waves are nice like you got a good drop or whatever you shot a nice fish um, that last 10 second moment is the result of hours and days and weeks of trying and searching and planning and researching and scouting. But people just see that last 10 seconds. It's incredible just how much effort, time, research, pain, sweat, and tears goes into just like you said, 10 seconds of bliss. And somehow right. it's all worth it. Right. That's and it. Lasts for like, and then it lasts for a day. I'm like, all right, I. Where's the next one? <laughs> you get that kind of high of it. That, oh yeah, I'm. It's I'm very, sure it, it's probably similar with that giant tooth you found. Where when you oh, yeah. find the, the wave of your life, it's just you. You just live off of that for several days, sometimes more, and then Big it's time. on to the next one. Big time. It's that drive, man, and we get hooked on it, and we're lucky that that's what we're hooked on. Because a lot of other people, you know, that it's very similar with drugs too. You get you can get that adrenaline, that dopamine from other sources too, but it's a natural, I think it's a primal instinct of us. We were hunters, we were gatherers and it's just falling in that too. I'm hunting, I'm gathering. And so are you, you're searching. Um, it's just kind of what we were meant to be. And, and everyone's got that niche, that Megalodon tooth for them, whatever it is, that's you got to find out what your life's mission is. And for me, I found it. That's what it is. So everyone else is kind of searching for that. And I'm just lucky it's not like on something that's harmful for me. It's, mm -hmm. you know, something constructive. And I'm trying to make the world a better place through my passion. Something that that's bigger than than just one person. Right. Some meaning there. Right. Exactly. There's something about pursuing these these primal activities where as you know, you become a part of the food chain in some sense. You're no longer the apex predator. Yep. And you had the most gnarly encounter with a crocodile. And this is something that every surfer is going to feel you on. Can you speak a little bit? I know you've 
talked about this hundreds of times. Can you just give us a rundown of what exactly happened that day in the river? Sure. Yeah, this is what most people are interested in anyways. And it's fine because this was the craziest day of my life. Um, it just cemented more of what I'm here to do. Um, and I would say it changed my life for the better. But I'm just lucky to live through that day. So as I said, with the whole process of scouting and how arduous it can be, especially back then, I wasn't I didn't know much at all. I didn't have any friends that looked for Meg teeth. It was just me on my own and my Shark Creek producer, Mark Rackley. So I'd only go when he was in town pretty much with him. He knew more than me. He put me on this good spot in this river in Florida that he man, he is just he's been in the wildlife like crazy situations with sharks and gators and all of that for his whole life professionally he filmed for gator boys filmed for shark week jackass and everything in between not geo so him being an experienced wildlife videographer and photographer he's very comfortable around apex predators like that because it was his job he's living that's what he did so he took me into this gator filled river it's something we had done a couple times and we had found some of our best heat there. So he wasn't in town. I still have this uncontrollable urge and drive to find Megalodon shark teeth. So I went back to the river where I found my best tooth at that time. And I knew it was gator mating season. Uh, I knew there was gators in there. He had freed of that river before, but like I said, he's a lot more experienced than I am, especially with before being like, he used to professionally capture alligators for Gator Boys Alligator Rescue. And just, you know, he has so much experience around them. Um, I was just kind of desperate, looked on land for a bunch of hairs, couldn't find anything. There was no rain. So I just went and I was like, well, I don't know as much as some of the other guys who are getting stuff. So this thing I'm going to use to separate me and, and try to get some results is I'm going to do some more ballsy dives and go to areas that no one else is willing to go to, because that's how we had been successful in the past. So I went. And I'm free diving. I just, it was a Sunday. I couldn't get any tanks. I'm by myself free diving, which are two bad mistakes I made that day. Um, by myself free diving. I'm down there putting on my wetsuit and mask, snorkel, fins, everything. I'm looking around for gators, but either way, I'd swim around them before in that river and some other rivers too. This was my third river I'd ever dove, and all three had gators in them. Uh, so I was just a little overconfident. Um, very overconfident. So I go in the water, like I said, mating season, I'm alone, free diving, free diving compared to scuba diving, scuba diving is more loud. There's bubbles going on all over the place. A lot of times sharks are scared of bubbles. They won't mess with you as much if you're scuba diving, but if you're it's kind of similar to gators, it's just more disruptive, uh, potentially not saying every gator is the same, but yeah, I go into the water i'm in there about a minute there's a video if you haven't seen it yet uh actually a couple of people warned me on the river right before and that's on film too they said are you worried about alligators i said no um and i go in the water and i just get i'm looking for the gravel which has potentially teeth and then i go down i come back up i breathe up a little bit i go down again and then i get hit by what felt like a huge boat propeller on a boat going 50 miles an hour is just like blunt force. And I felt like the ripping this way to the left. And then my hand got ripped. So it was one, two, like that. 
and I come up and I'm looking right at her and she's about five feet in front of me and we're staring at each other. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was a gator. <laughs> that wasn't a boat because when I got hit and felt the force, I was like, where did that boat come from? I didn't hear anything. So I come up and we were, we're looking at each other. I was like, oh, that was a gator. I just got bit. I feel this. I see the blood. And this is actually flapped open. You can see the snout. Not as much right now because I need a haircut. But as you probably saw in the pictures, I've, I've got a full snout mark on the side of my head. That was ripped open and they could see my scalp. I couldn't see this because it's back here. Um, she hit me in the back of my head. But she, I have a bunch of scars on the top too, where there was a bunch of gashes, but whipped down this way. And then three puncture wounds in my hand. I'm lucky she didn't take my hand, but I'm also lucky I didn't get knocked out, that she didn't hit me again, that she didn't get me in any other location, face, neck, shoulder. She got me in my hand, but she could have just very easily ripped that off, ripped my shoulder and arm off, legs, anywhere else I, I would have probably bled out or lost an appendage or anything anything um yeah didn't get knocked out didn't get death rolled on she didn't hit me again although she tried to twice so we're looking at each other she Lunged kept going back so twice yep they... twice so she looked at me we're looking at each other and she looked mad uh she lunged at me one time and my fins are towards her and my we're like this my fins are towards her and my head's away from her. So I remain as calm as I am right now. She lunges at me. I back away a little bit. Like a shark. I'm not trying to act like prayer. Mm -hmm. Splashed around or anything. I stay calm. And then she really tries to lunge at me. Really tries to get me. And then I back away. That's when I'm like moving. So I get out of the river. I climb out. And I stumble over to where my car is. I'm so lucky that I parked close to where that is. And that there's a restaurant right there. There's people walking back. I call him over and I'm like, hey guys, please call 911. I just got bit by an alligator. And they're like, what? It's Steven and Renee, who I now know, husband and wife. Steven is a ex-firefighter. He went to the restaurant, got a first aid kit, wrapped my head. Uh, and Renee called 911. I called my parents. She got went in my car, got my phone. Um, and then yeah, I almost passed out twice. That's where I thought I was gonna die both time, both times because I just got so tired. I was like, wow, I need to take a nap. And they're like, no, 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 don't take a nap. That's where I felt like I was going to, that it was just going to turn black. It almost did. Um, and it was just, wow, like this is where I go. It's painful. It's peaceful relatively, or it's painless. I was not in any pain. I couldn't hear out of my left ear. And like I said, I was like, why am I not feeling any pain yet? I was still in shock, obviously. And I thought I was just going to slip away like that and everyone else would continue living. And I just wouldn't. That happened twice when I almost passed out. Uh, and then I sit there and I'm actually coherent and calm the whole time. Um, I wait until the ambulance comes. They take me and I'm still like just asking Steve when he was wrapping my head. I was like, how bad is it, man? What's going on? He, and I could tell in his voice that he was just reassuring me. He was like, you're going to be all right. Don't worry. I was like, okay, but what does it look like? How does it look? He's like, uh, you're going to be all right. Don't worry. And that's, you know, when you can hear it in someone's voice, when they're just trying to comfort you rather than tell you, like he, he didn't know it looked horrible. Um, but no one knew what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was going to die any second. I didn't know if I was going to be a vegetable. I didn't know if I was going to have brain bleeding, who knows what else. 
Um, but I'm kind of asking questions like that in the ambulance. I'm like, what do you guys think? How bad is it? And I'm still like nervous joking. I make a video, which I don't know if you've seen, it's me in the ambulance. Mm -hmm. That one, that I thought I had to film it because like I got to explain to my friends what I was doing and why I was there. Um, rather than just like a silent death, like I wanted to give people a heads up of what was going on because I didn't know any second I might drop drop dead or it would be my last message out to anyone. I don't know. Um, but I'm like nervously joking with the uh, EMTs. I'm saying like, damn, I just really want a Megalodon tooth. I was stupid. I felt embarrassed. I was like, I should have known better. It's mating season, stuff like that. And yeah, I'm just trying to like make the situation normal. And the good news that we're all noticing is I'm coherent. I'm talking like I am now I'm still calm, not freaking out. And then they bring me into the emergency room or wherever they operate on you. And they're like, all right, there's gonna be a lot of people in here looking at you. I was like, all right, whatever. They pull me in and there's like 30, 40 people just staring at me like they were staring. That was weird. I'm still like nervous, like and I'm trying to make the situation feel normal to me. So I'm like, hey guys, I'm with Sharko, just looking for Megalodon teeth, just being my normal self, trying to make the situation feel normal. Cause I don't know what's going on. And then when we're in there, they're cleaning my wound and stuff. And they start stapling me up and I get 34 staples and a skull fracture. And then they told me, they're like, oh, it's not as bad as we thought it was, but we'll see what the CT scan says. Cause that's how you know what's going on internally. Um, and then I was like, wait, do you think I'm going to live? And they're like, yeah, we think you're going to live. And I, I, all of a sudden, like, I was so unemotional at that point. I was just like, like, I said, kind of making fun of the situation, just trying to just nervous and so forth. But then when they told me I was going to live, I was like, wait, I'm going to live. And then I, it just started creeping up on me, like the emotion of it. And then I just started bawling my eyes out, man. It was, I've never had that much emotion flow out of me. I was like, I can't believe I'm going to live, uh, or hopefully at this point, we still have to get in the CT scan, but like now I'm just instead of concerned with dying, I'm more concerned with like brain hemorrhages, being a vegetable, stuff like that. So we go in the CT scan, they have to like, they say, we need you to stop crying so we can stuff you in the CT scan. So I stop crying. I keep my composure a little bit. I'm just like whimpering in there. They get it. They're, they're done with it. And they're like, all right, we'll let you know the results. I'm still waiting on that, but I know I'm going to live. So I'm crying, crying, crying. And then, yeah, man, it was very, very heavy. And I called my girlfriend who I met six days before, six days. Now we live together. This She designed this room. I didn't. Um, okay. We live together and it's great. Like I couldn't have done it without her. I called my mom, called my parents. And then I called Mark Rackley too, who got bitten the shoulder by a great white or not a great white, sorry, a blue shark. And yeah, man, it was just very, very heavy. And I was just so thankful to be alive. And it was a very emotional and religious experience for me. It's, that's so heavy, man. I'm so happy you're okay. It's incredible the sort of awareness you had when this was going down to put your feet in front of you, not look like prey, keep yourself conscious. It's, I mean, that's, that saved your life. Yeah, I guess so. It was just kind of how I was trained with spearfishing and sharks. Yeah, so yeah. I, as I said in interviews before, I was like, I'm very lucky to 
now understand how I am in that situation because I'd never been in it before. So just kind of having it grilled into my head when I worked on that spearfishing boat back in the Keys, being around sharks and apex predators, it it showed me what I do in a situation like that. I remain calm in that at that moment. So that's good to know because it was out of my control. So I'm very lucky that it all worked out because one more inch, one more half inch, yeah. this would be that way into my head, it would have been death. Do you have any lasting um, injuries from, from this accident? Nope, just a big scar. Like I said, once I get a haircut on Friday, you can see it much better. But it's like trenches in my head, man. It's like uh, no hair actually grows there, it grows around it, but it's like small trenches all over. And then I just have scars. But I my hand got infected too. And it swelled up like a balloon in the next couple of days after the bite. I almost had to go back. I was in the ICU for two, two days originally. And then like even walking again, I didn't have any sort of leg injuries. And I can't imagine someone who has had to literally learn to walking mm-hmm. physically legs, something happened to them. But me, it was just like emotionally and physically knowing that I could walk again. They did have to help me because it was just so much trauma. It was just very, very intense. It wipes you out, man. I was exhausted for the next week. Yeah, man, that's, I've never had anything close to that, but about a year and a half ago, I was T-boned while riding my bicycle by a car and just going through like a year of physical therapy to, you know, learn how to paddle again, learn how to just use my arm. It's intense and it, it really wow. makes you dig deep and to realize the, you know, is this something worth continuing? Is, you know, surfing, shark hunting, shark teeth hunting, and to come out the other end of that is just to me such a beautiful thing and to get back in the water how long did it take you to kind of rebuild that confidence to say you know what this is my life i love this i have a mission here how did you go about that it wasn't a doubt like i said in my interviews i was like i'm ready to go back looking for teeth because i still have unfinished business i'll just go on land or in safer areas but i was back to scuba diving in the Gulf, not in the river in a month. And then a month after that, that's when I went scuba diving, found that six inch tooth. They call it the redemption tooth. It was like a miracle. Nobody finds teeth that bigger. Very, very rarely here in Florida. It's the six inch club. It's in this area, like the Holy grail. We don't get teeth too much bigger than that. South Carolina, you can, but that's from a 60 foot shark. And it's very, very rare, rare to find even a fragment of that size here in Florida. So finding it like I know people that have hunted their entire lives and not found a six inch Meg and like veteran hunters, old guys that haven't found one. And then I feel like if anyone's earned it, it's you, man. I mean, I guess so. I mean, I'm that's some type of cosmic, you know, karma type of thing. Oh my gosh. It was literally insane. I was like, I can't believe in my shark week cameraman was there with me filming that whole day from start to finish. And we're, we're doing a show called the Megalodon Hunter. And that's going to be one of the episodes, but it was just, everything came together. It was so powerful, especially with everything that happened. They made that moment so much better knowing everything I had to come through. A lot of times that's just life. 
Like once you go to those rock bottoms, it makes when you get to that top, that's not my top. I still have a long way to go. But once you get to a peak, once you look back at how far you've come and what you went through to get there, it just makes that moment so much more special and meaningful. Fuels the fire. Exactly. Exactly. And I haven't felt a moment like that since. So I'm always pursuing that. For sure. I just feel like there's so much that surfers can learn from you and your story and your company. Sharks are a constant kind of risk. It's something that we tell ourselves they're out there. There's nothing we can do. Forget about it. But once in a while, you know, you'll have a shark come at you and they'll turn at the last second. Yes. I was spearfishing a couple of days ago and it was my first time having a shark come up to me and just grab a fish and that kind of shook me up and uh it was tough to get back in the water after that yeah it makes sense I actually haven't had one grab a fish from me I've been checked several times I've had them come up to me and turn away and stuff like that I've had to push them away with my spear gun but I haven't actually had one bite a fish uh my the guys I rolled with all the time they, they see it happen but for me specifically I haven't experienced specifically that yet so yeah, each each little step, each next little threshold is a different understanding of the situation and seeing it in person is way different than seeing it on someone's GoPro or on a screen. There's 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 no way to know what that's like until that's you're right. in the situation. That's right. And um people can can forget that, but there's a lot of guys that are that live in this world and and can at the very least sympathize with what it might be like. Right. I was, I was probably 50 yards off. I was doing a shore dive at, at the surf spot that I go to in, in San Clemente. And the first two times the shark came, I pushed him away. But I was still, huh? he was, I was trying to not act like prey i was trying to stand my ground in the hopes that he'd be like all right it's not worth it let's look right. for another opportunity right but he came back a third time and i was still maybe 20 yards from the shore and at this point i said i'm not gonna like just take the fish and leave like i kind of and that's something i wonder if that was the right call you know if he's both ways right. me with with an opportunity for food right a lot of guys will say like okay when you give them the fish obviously it depends on the situation do what you're comfortable with but a, a lot of the experienced guys will say like when you give them your fish that means that shark is going to look at spearfishing as a meal so then yeah. now the shark is probably going to be up on that next spear fisherman in that same area that's just how it goes but there's times when you don't feel comfortable and you got to do what you do you do what you got to do so i get both sides of it for sure and it happens so we learn from it move on um and there's worse things yeah, that was a good learning opportunity. And I didn't have a buddy, which is really stupid. Um, yeah, man, that's, trust me, done that many times, many, yeah. many times. But like, I definitely use buddies now. Like whenever you get in that situation where you don't, it's just like that regret is immediate. Immediate. It's so important. It's, it's you know, we we were all taught early on that's the golden rule that you don't break and you know it's yeah i know sometimes you're just like i just want to get out there i got yeah it. i know the conditions are good yeah 
everyone else fell through. I've got the, I got the off. Like, I just want to go. That's why I got bit. <laughs> Cause you know what? The animals don't yeah. care. The animals don't care. They're wild animals. Yeah. Everybody. And we're, we're in, we're part of their food chain in those That's situations. Right. That's right. Are, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not that knowledgeable about gators, but I've heard that compared to crocodiles, gators are supposed to be a little more docile. Yeah, they're not considered as aggressive. Mm -hmm. Do they hunt people down? I mean, not like crocodiles. So whenever I got posted on like certain pages that had a lot more crocodile followers, especially Australians and people that live in areas where there's crocs, a lot of them like question me. They're like, why in the world were you in the water? Well, here in Florida, all of the waters have alligators. Some, some waters have more alligators. Some waters have alligators that are more used to people. And, and there's different conditions. They are not considered as aggressive as crocodiles. Crocodiles will pursue people, even on land. Hunt and stalk. Right. More, that's called an unprovoked attack. Mm-hmm. There's provoked attacks and unprovoked attacks. There's a lot more unprovoked attacks with crocodiles because they are more aggressive. You're exactly right. Alligators are typically less aggressive. So an unprovoked attack like this was very, very rare. It was a very rare attack. And he kept coming back for more, which is weird because with, with shark attacks, 99% of the time, it's a case of mistaken identity. They take their... Correct. They, you know, they sense the world with their mouths, take the bite, not what we're looking for. But this, this gator just, he wouldn't leave you alone. It's any idea what happened there? I talked to the professional gator trappers who trap gators every single day. They've, you know, they, they know a lot. They're gator experts. They said they believed it was t- protecting a nest and, or especially since it was mating season, it's a female. I have her in the next room if you want to see her. Yeah, you got her taxidermied? Not yet. I just have her kind of raw. I let ants eat away at her. She's not fixed up yet, but I'll show you. Um, Now, no human killed it. She was killed by a 13-foot alligator. Mm -hmm. She was bit in the head by another alligator, but she didn't live, which is crazy. 13-footer, she was 7-foot. But, uh, yeah, they think what could have also contributed to her aggression is uh, people could have been feeding it because it was – next to a parking lot it was next to a, a restaurant so the most aggressive gators are typically ones that are fed and that look to humans for food so that could have contributed i'll grab the her head real quick one sec i'd love to see it All right. There it is, dude. That's incredible. That's, that's, that, that'll be in your museum one day. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) But yeah, I'm very lucky to have this. First of all, this is crazy. Um, Now, since the very beginning, when I got bit, as I was crying and that right after I got the staples in my head, right before I went to the ICU, I had Florida Fish and Wildlife immediately in my room trying to figure out what happened because they got to capture the gator. It's at this point legally mm-hmm. considered a threat to public safety. They have to remove it. Now, what we thought at the time was they were going to kill it. And I was saying, please don't kill it. I 
messed up. The gator did nothing wrong. I was in her home. Um, but in reality, the trappers don't kill the gators. They sell them alive to farms. So she would have lived her life out on this farm. Now, when they were trapping it to, to keep it alive, it was on the line and a 13 foot alligator, like I said, bit her in the head and she died. They recovered her. She had huge wounds in her head and stomach. She was fat. I never saw her. I only saw her head. You don't see what's under the water. So when I saw a picture of her laid out in the truck, bigger bed, than you are. I was like, oh my gosh, she was huge. And seven feet, like that's just a little bit bigger than me. If it was, if that gator was any bigger, like it would have cut, it would have smushed my skull in two. Uh, their bite force can cut through steel, by the way. But I'm lucky for whatever reason, she didn't get the best grip. I guess I only got, like I said, this torn open, like uh, it was, I felt that force and it was insane. Like I said, mixture of a boat propeller on a boat going 50 miles an hour and someone whacking me full force with a baseball bat. Like it was just insane. Um, yeah, it was just like all the conditions were right. It was a perfect storm. So you're back in the game, still yeah. doing your thing just as passionate, still got the fire. This, this is an incredible story, Jeffrey. And it's something that I know surfers will find inspiring and motivational to know that it's not, it's nothing unique to surfers. It's, it, there's, there's a common thread with people who are passionate about the outdoors and being a part of an environment and working hard towards a goal, being a part of something bigger than yourself. And you've done a really good job of exemplifying that that sportsman mentality. Yeah, Thank you for, for coming to, to talk with us. Yeah, no problem, man. Feel free to follow me on social media at Sharkco. That's S-H-R-K-C-O. I post all my crazy shark teeth, megalodons, and a lot of crazy adventures are on the way, especially with the TV show called The Megalodon Hunter, which is most likely coming out in a year. Super excited about that. And thank you for having me, Teddy. Look forward to talking with you more. This was a blast. Can we uh, look to see that, um, the Megalodon Hunter on YouTube? Will that be on, on a cable network? We find out in two months. It's being pitched to Discovery right now. Hell yeah. We have That's our big. first choice of a production company. I've got Jackass guys behind it. I've got Shark Week guys behind it. We've, I think we've got a really good shot here. That's big. Big news. Can't you wait. burned it. This was great. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you, Teddy. Have a good one, man. You too. Goodbye.